Welcome to the Radically Christian Crosstalk Podcast, Season 2, Episode 9. I'm your host, Wes McAdams. Join me and my co-host, Sam Dominguez and James Sumners, as we continue a series in which we're discussing passages of Scripture that are so much more than children's Bible stories. We're going to attempt to rescue these passages of Scripture from the children's corner where they've unfortunately been relegated. On today's show, we discuss the biblical account of David and Goliath. The Crosstalk Podcast is not a sermon, a Bible class, or even a formal Bible study. It's simply a spiritual conversation among friends that we hope you'll find edifying and that will encourage you to have these types of spiritual conversations with people in your life. And now let's jump right into that conversation. Well, David and Glass, one of those stories that my kids like to play. Like we do it every, like every day, probably. One of us is David or Goliath, and um, and we uh, then we we have a little battle. And <clears throat> Mike is two, and so he wants to uh, he wants to play that. And afterwards, I always I try to ask at some point, well, how is it that this little boy was able to was was it did he killed Goliath all by himself? Was it just because he was such a great warrior that David's like, yeah, no, no, that's not it. It's because God was with him. But you know, it's it's funny how. You know, it's such an exciting story—the story of David and Goliath—that uh, kids and, and so many of us just we look at it and we're like, "Wow, that's just that's amazing story." Look at how the the small guy took over the the giant guy. Isn't that amazing? And that's kind of where we go with the story so many mm-hmm. times. You know, it's interesting. You know, uh, similar to how we did with the Noah, we we highly sanitize the the violence of this story, and and yet. The violence is integral to what God intended to have happen. You know, uh, uh, these people should not have been allowed to stand in defiance uh, of God's people. And I, I remember my my great contribution to children's education was when uh, that we were doing the story of David and Goliath, the event <laughs> of David and Goliath in VBS, I think it was. And I remember being excited and talking to my son about it and telling him all about it and finding out what he knew and everything. And then I said, yeah, and then David took Goliath's sword and chopped his head off. <laughs> and Nathan looks at me and he says, he did what? Yeah, he, he chopped his head off. Were they not telling you that? <laughs> nope, apparently we had left that part out in the PBS uh, <laughs> story. <laughs> and uh, so then later on, Nathan retold the story for his friends. And very much included the most awesome part, which was that David chopped off Goliath's head. Mm-hmm. And, you know, little girls gasped and, and some of the mothers looked at me and it's like, I told them the way it was in the Bible. <laughs> I don't know what else to tell you. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, but it's it's just one of those things where, you know, not only have we tended to strip some of the spiritual meaning out of these events in order to make them a children's story, we've we've sanitized them from some of the physical actions and the violence that as, as distasteful as we might find them, they're integral to that spiritual meaning. Right. Well, and, and I think another, another aspect of it, as far as making it into a children's story, is that we've made David a child. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've made him like a little bitty boy. And it's like, I don't think he really was. I mean, he was young, yeah. obviously. And... You know, he obviously wasn't someone that everybody was like, hey, yeah, go go fight this battle, uh, which, by the way, shouldn't Saul have been the guy to go out there? But anyway, that's that's maybe we'll talk about that later. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, But but, you know, here's this young man that, you know, they, they weren't, you know, real excited about throwing him into the battle. But 
at the same time, he had already been serving as Saul's armor bearer even before this. He had already, he was kind of going back and forth. If the story is all in chronological order, he was already going back and forth between Saul and his father's house. So he was already working for the king, uh, which is kind of interesting that Saul doesn't seem to really know who he is later and that kind of stuff. But um, there's obviously explanation for that, even if we can't necessarily know what it is. But um, but it's just interesting that we make him out to be like a 12-year-old kid or a 10-year-old kid, and, and I really don't think that that was the case. It's funny, because today, um, just because I mean, we always talk about David, um, and Bella asked, how, how old was David? And I said, when you, you're asking when he fought Goliath? And she said, yeah, how old was he? And I said, well, he was probably probably a teenager. And she said, no, I think he was five. <laughs> yeah. and, so, and so, you know, of course she's like, she's five, about to be six, but you know, that's the, that's how we, we have a little, a little, uh, action figure of David and he looks probably like he's five and right. you know, we have this Goliath and he's really not that much bigger, but, but he looks, you know, this big hulking mm-hmm. man and, and everything. And David's just this tiny little, tiny little boy. Right. Um, not just, not just uh, a young man, but he's, he's, uh, He's a boy. It makes it better for the cartoons when the Saul's helmet and armor, you know, like totally weigh him down. He can't, you know, <laughs> they cover his eyes and that kind of thing. You know, it makes it it makes it that much more enjoyable for kids to think of him as being a five or six year old or seven or yeah. eight year old. And, and you know, I think we've we've facilitated that in order to make it a mm-hmm. kid story because you know, consider what God can do for you. Mm-hmm. And like, well, no, God God wouldn't ask you to do that. <laughs> right? You know, he That's wouldn't ask point. that of yeah. a children of yeah. children. You know. Right. And, and, you know, all, all we have to do is go into the text and, and really analyze what's there. You know, as, uh, Saul questions, you know, David going out there because he's not a trained soldier, because he's not a hardened mm-hmm. soldier. Um, but then he's, when he offers to do it, Saul allows him to do it, and he equips him. And, and you know, it's not the type of thing where Saul would say, here, kid, I'm going to plunk this trash can over your head that you can't even see out of. Right. I mean, Saul's not an idiot, right. you know? And, and what the text says <laughs> is that David tried it on, he put his belt around him, and he says, you know what? This isn't tested. I don't know how to work this way. This mm-hmm. isn't how I have fought in defense of my father's property and my father's land, so I'd rather not have it. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, it makes perfect sense that that David was at least a large enough individual and an old enough man that he could wear armor, he knew how to wear a sword, but he decided that it was in his best interest not to try and be something that he wasn't and instead de- depend on the Lord as he always had in the past. You know, and, and as you were talking, as you were talking about um, how Saul reacts later, like who, who is this uh, as if he doesn't know him and, and he may not, maybe that's part of the whole thing is that Saul just isn't really the man that he should be. Mm-hmm. Um, he, at one point, seemed to be a humble man and, and, and a lot of, and he's lost that he's lost his humility. Um, and he doesn't pay attention to the people around him. Maybe, uh, maybe that's why he doesn't recognize that this young man who plays for him is uh, who he is. Uh, but, uh, um, that maybe that's part of, uh, what, what really distinguishes a lot of who Saul is and who David is. David is someone who, um, who is who is humble, and whenever he's not, he he discovers his he discovers his sin, and then he he repents. Whereas Saul is one who who holds on to his he holds on to his lack of humility, his pride, um, 
as we see like the story that goes on after this, which is so crazy. But anyway, I think you said in a Bible class one time, and it's it's an image I've always held on to about Saul being cowardly. Wasn't that you that said yeah, that, James? Yeah. Uh, and so I've always held on to this mental image of of Prince John from the Disney <laughs> Robin Hood, you know, the the lion. Um, and that's how I picture that's how I picture Saul now is is this cowardly lion, you know. And because you think about so many of Saul's decisions. And and we could we could interpret his his hiding in the baggage when they crowned him as king as being humble and perhaps there was some humility but perhaps perhaps that was the showing of his cowardice even then and and as as we go on we see several times where he is a coward and and he should have been the guy I mean they when they anointed him king he was head and shoulders taller than other men in Israel and so here was a big man and he he looked like a king he looked kingly yet he wasn't acting kingly and he should have been the guy that if if somebody was going to challenge the army of God, the king, especially this mighty king that had been anointed king of Israel, that they wanted a king so very badly, he should have been the guy that says, yeah, I'm I'm God's anointed one. I'm God's chosen instrument, and I'll go out there and face Goliath. Why wouldn't I? I'm I, I, We are the army of the Lord. Yet the king didn't act like a king, and here you have—and and all throughout the story about David, you always see him in contrast with Saul, and you see how Saul acts, and then you see how David acts in comparison. Well, I mean, you know, like you said, we if we look at the way this, the events are laid out uh, in what we presume is, is a reasonable chronological order, you know, at, at this point, David's already been anointed by Samuel. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the ramifications of that— uh, perhaps are not clear to everyone involved. It already seems to have poisoned his brothers against him. And at this point, the Spirit of God has come mightily upon David. Mm-hmm. It has left Saul, and he's being tormented by what it says is an evil spirit from the Lord. And David is comforting him. I mean, uh, to presume then that Saul knows who is coming to comfort him, uh, you know, if if he's being tormented when David comes, he may or may not have ever seen David mm-hmm. there. You know, but but at this point, David is known in the household of Saul. He's mm-hmm. known to his advisors. He's known to everyone there. He was already known to people there because they went and got him to come and play for Saul. You know, th- there's a lot of things that have happened to set the stage for Saul to be failing in what he should have been. Mm-hmm. Uh, and at this point, it's already a succession of failures. And for David to, full of the Spirit of the Lord, step up. you know. But it, it's one of those things where, in the face of all this, there was still every, every earthly reason for David not to do this. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, consider how he felt. You know, he, he wasn't even called forth when Samuel was coming. They had to go fetch him afterward. He then gets anointed. That appears to have put his brothers against him. At the very least, he's not very popular in his household anymore, perhaps not even with his father, you know. And then his father has to go send him to the battlefield. The brothers aren't happy to see him. Uh, he, he is not well considered among men in that regard. You know, he's still young enough that they look down on him for that, but then they also look down on him for the consideration that Samuel showed him. You know, it's one of those situations where sometimes in our spiritual walk, in order to do what we know God wants us to do and to be what God wants us to be, we can already look around and say, these people don't like me. They're not happy with me already. If I take the next step, it's just going to get worse. Mm-hmm. And to a certain extent, it got worse for David from that point forward. But his 
his righteous indignation at this Philistine standing before the armies of God is is just outstanding, outstanding to to see on the page and and to hear. You you can hear it dripping from his voice. Mm-hmm. Say, who is this? What in the world is going on? You know, when David arrives at the battlefield, it doesn't make sense what's happening, and you can you can even consider the 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 men looking around and being like come on man you've never been in battle you don't know what's going on i don't know what you expected but all you heard were stories and that kind of stuff this is reality Mm -hmm. and a lot of times even in the church that's what we do to people someone comes in headstrong and says well hey god says that he will support us when we do this god says we can accomplish these things and we say, oh, you poor naive kid, you know, mm-hmm. you don't understand what it's like out here on the front lines of Christianity, you know. Um, but but it was David's righteous indignation where he just, he refuses to stand pat when he sees something not the way it's supposed to be. You know, and the thing that's so so crazy about it, when you, when you read this, this is a passage to a, lo- to a degree, at least to me, it seems like. Every time I read it, it's like I'm reading it for the first time because it's like it's so ridiculous in the sense of like 40 days. You sat there for 40 days and you let this guy call you what? And and you let him talk about your God? How? And you just sat there and you trembled as if your God isn't real? And you sat here and then finally a young man shows up who has no business who technically has no business here. I mean, he's only here because he was sent here to check on his family, um, and uh, you know, and and again, you talking about the contrast between David and Saul. You get the like with with Saul when he is when he is anointed or when they're going to anoint him, he's hiding in the baggage, and here is David when something somebody's challenging God and and God's people, and he says, "I I won't stand for that." My God is bigger than that. If and and then and then proceeds to to go in with the understanding of who God is and what God has already done for him in his life. If you Saul could do the same thing if he decided, you know, I am going to change my life and follow God wholly again and see look at what has God done for me and trust in him because it's like God has done amazing things for Saul. He has made him even a prophet. He was he was called a prophet multiple times because he prophesied. God used him in that way. God did amazing th- things through Saul, through his son. He had so much to it, physically experienced through a spiritual, physical sense. Like he saw God's actions in his life. He saw the things that his son had done, and and then here here we come, and and he, the tallest man maybe among the army there of Israel. It comes and they see the giant, and he taunts the 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 king and the army and God, and he sits back and waits for somebody else to step in. And who does? A young man who's not who is not a warrior, uh, but trusts in God. A man, a young man who sees what God has done in his life, and he takes that and says, "I trust in God. I can fight him because I'm not fighting him alone. I'm fighting him with God. God." is the one that fights for me. And so when, when he comes into the battle, he says, you know, Goliath says, uh, what am I, a dog that you come at me with sticks and with stones? And, and David, and I'm going to feed your body to the birds today. And David says, I'm, I'm not coming at with you with anything but God. I got God. <laughs> well, c- consider, consider what he says. I mean, that I was reading that just a few minutes ago and I love 
just love the language where he says, he doesn't say I come with anything. He says, I come in the name of the Lord. I am the representative of God's people. And it's, it's a completely different mindset. And, and consider the mindset then of Saul, who even if he didn't recognize that God had, had left him, he already was behaving as though God was not with him. Because what does he say? I mean, he's not so far gone that he doesn't know God or acknowledge God. He says, may the Lord be with you. As though the Lord wouldn't have been with him. You know, it, it, it makes me wonder if Saul was not so much a coward as simply a man with great promise who is racked with doubt. Mm. He never has the confidence of the Lord, never has the confidence in the Lord. Whereas David can stand in this position and say, I come in the name of the Lord and recognize, you know, that that is the power, mm-hmm. is the fact that I'm in the name of the Lord, uh, to the point where even he he throws Goliath's taunt right back in his face. You know, another one of those ways that we we degorify the the uh, event for our children. You know, but he says the armies of the Philistines are going to be laid out for the the birds and the wild animals. You know, but David understood where God was. And Saul, it seems, had already lost track of that. See, and, and I think that we often lose sight of the big picture of David and Goliath. I mean, it, it's, such a, it's such a beautiful example of what all of Israel could have been. You know, I like to read the Old Testament through the eyes of the average ordinary, you know, Hebrew or the average ordinary Israelite. And when they came into the Promised Land— the reason that the the ten spies were cowards, you know, was because they weren't like David. They didn't trust in the power of the Lord. Joshua and Caleb weren't confident in their own strength and ability, nor in the strength and ability of Israel, but in the Lord. And they said, who cares that there's giants in the land? What difference does that make? Our God is the God. We have we serve the living God. It, it doesn't matter who's there. It doesn't matter how big they are. Let's go take these guys. And and because they doubted, they spent forty years. And it's interesting, forty days, forty years. Uh, you know, wandering in the wilderness because they didn't trust the Lord. And really, it comes down to obedience. And that's what that's what the obedience of faith is: is saying if God told us to do it, we do it. God's going to give it to us. God, one way or the other, it's going to work out. According to the will of the Lord, I'm just going to do the right thing. It doesn't matter if it makes earthly sense. If God tells me to do it, I'm going to do it. And kind of going back to one of our earlier conversations about spiritual jealousy last season, uh, we talked about you know that idea of spiritual jealousy. Isn't it interesting to look at Saul, if David is doing Saul's job, in a sense, and and he is he's you know over the course and has already begun to take his position, and eventually he will he will become the king of Israel, and and right here you have a, an example of someone doing his job. You know that's something he should have done, and how jealous he becomes of David, and how jealous we get of each other when we see in someone else they're doing what I ought to be doing, and instead of stepping up our game and doing what we should be doing, instead we take it out on them, and we we they become our enemy rather than them inspiring us to be better. You know that that. Makes me think of something I had never even considered until this moment, and it it, it may mean nothing, but it, it strikes me as interesting in the here and now that da- David, you would think, 
would would have recognized the situation that the king should have been doing something about this. I mean, he questioned why any any man there mm-hmm. was not doing something about this. And yet when he goes to Saul, he doesn't chastise him. He doesn't say, come on, Saul, you know better than this, or, or any of the other uh, things that, that we do to each other mm-hmm. in similar circumstances to that. Instead, he simply goes to the king and says, I'll do it. Someone needs to do it. I'll do it. Mm-hmm. And he knows Saul should have been doing it. He knows any man there should have been capable of doing it. But he, he doesn't come wagging his finger. He doesn't come with disrespect mm-hmm. toward God's anointed. Instead, he simply comes forward and says, I'll do what needs to be done. And, and David never loses that. You know, he, he never kills Saul. He never does anything against Saul. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it's really a testament to his character, even at this time, that the, the respect that, that he was supposed to have for God's anointed one was something that he, he absolutely held to, even in that circumstance. Mm-hmm. Which is one of those things that we don't, many of us as Christians, don't understand that we claim to, I think, that that uh, I won't take vengeance, I won't seek vengeance, I won't desire the vengeance to a certain degree. Uh, though I know David at some point also uh, asked God for vengeance over his enemies, but at the same time, he never he never physically sought it himself on his enemies. Um, he he allowed God to to uh, take control of those things, and he may have asked for it, but he didn't go and seek it for. He didn't go to take the vengeance himself. Um, we, Although he did ask his son. Yeah, I know. I was just thinking, yeah. Yeah, he, Solomon, here's the enemies. Yeah, yeah. Do what you want, but I suggest <laughs> Remember you Remember this guy all. that I said everything was cool with? Go kill him for Yeah, me. exactly. Thank you. But uh, the, the other thing that's interesting, I was just thinking about how the idea of, I mean, going to the New Testament, it's not necessarily in context, but the idea of how Jesus talks about being grafted in and being cut off. I mean, that's what's happening here. This whole story, I mean, this is in the middle of of Saul, um, Saul disobeying God and then and then falling down on his knees trying to say, hey, I, I want to keep the kingdom. And he tries to take Samuel, he grabs Samuel's cloak and tears it and says, well, the kingdom will be torn from you. And, and all of this stuff happens. David's anointed and all of this just goes together and you go through the story and, uh, and here's Samuel, uh, not Samuel, Solomon, Saul, who in the middle of all this, he is the man who should be doing all sorts of things for the kingdom of God. But his concern is for himself. His concern, at this point at least, to a certain degree, is for himself. And, and when, it, when he talks about uh, at, later on, there's, there's a point at which um, Jonathan confronts him about what's going on. And and he says, "Don't you care that you're going to lose the kingdom to this little boy, to this to this nobody, to this other guy?" And and he's like, "He's he's God's chosen one. He's he's my he's my friend. He's he's a faithful servant of God. I I I look forward to that day. You know, it's 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 kind of weird, but um, but that's how that's how Saul is acting. It's like I'm more concerned about this kingdom of mine." It's not the kingdom of God's that he's concerned about. Well, is, isn't that what was what was predicted to happen? You know, when when you have decided you're no mm-hmm. longer content to be God's people and you want to be your own nation, well, what did they expect? 
You know, the, the expectation was that the king would be the primary representative of God's people, and yet that's not what the people made him. They made him the king over a nation, and, and did they expect really that he wouldn't then become more concerned about his kingdom rather than being the people of God? And yet I, I loved what you just said about, you know, how the, the illusions being grafted in, that's always been the way God works. It's never mattered who you are as much as who God intends for you to be and the use that he wants to make out of you. You know, the, the Jews didn't then understand that. It was always about who we are as God's chosen people. And, you know, even at this time, you know, Saul didn't understand, oh yeah, I made you king, but that doesn't mean your lineage is then going to control the throne. It's going to be whoever I want to. Mm-hmm. It's whoever God wants to. And he grafts David's line in then. And, and uh, you know, the blessings then come from David's line. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's really fascinating that we can just see that glimpse into God's character, and it, it carries perfectly over to how he interacts with us. Isn't that amazing? That's, wow, that's powerful. Because it really is, it, it, even in David's case, it is by grace through faith. You know what I mean? Yeah. It is the grace of God that says, I'm going to choose this guy. And everybody's like, why? Why would you choose him? Well, because I know his heart. Man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart, and he sees that David is a man of faith. David David sees God for who he is, he sees himself for who he is, and and, and he responds appropriately. And and that is he's a man after God's own heart. And he he is he is a man of faith. And because of David's faith and God's grace, he grafts him in and makes him the king rather than those of the physical lineage of Saul, and what a perfect, like you said, an allusion to the Jews and the Gentiles, and and now we as Gentiles, by God's grace, through our faith, are grafted into the family tree. So it's amazing. You know what's something that uh, kind of irks me, and, and I didn't I didn't mention it when we were discussing Noah, but but there are uh, similar elements there, uh, and uh, with you know with the events with Jonah. And, and then with David and Goliath, because we make it a children's story, we have a tendency to start talking about the technicalities of it and focusing on those because we're kind of deliberately avoiding the spiritual ramifications of the event, what God actually wants us to draw out of it. And so in the case of Noah, we start talking the technicals of, of well, how— how would actually the animals fit in here? And oh yes, it's perfectly reasonable to to think that it could have could have happened and whatnot, as though there was any doubt that it happened. You know, uh, but you know, well, how how did Jonah survive in here? Well, it must have been a whale because whales breathe air and this and this. it's like, well, no, God, Jonah survived because God wanted him to. How it happened, who cares? It's what God <laughs> wanted it to happen, right. right? And in this case, we tend to talk about you know, the, the nature of, of David's weapons, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, well, and, and the sling and the stones and everything. And, and you'll hear some very learned person explain, well, no, this is actually a very deadly weapon. And it, you know, absolutely. It makes perfect sense that you could kill Goliath with this and it could have punctured his helmet and this and that. And it's kind of like, uh, okay, maybe so, but that doesn't mean that you equipped the armies with slings and stones. Okay. It still didn't make any earthly sense to send a boy equipped as such to take out a seasoned giant warrior of the Philistines. It was God. It mm-hmm. was David's faith in God that gave him that victory. And we tend to try and read so much into those details to make it sound like, well, David should have been perfectly confident in himself and in his yeah. own abilities, and, and that, well, God's influence was that he guided the stone or something silly like that. No, 
know. If Goliath had had it about him, he could have pinned David to the ground before he got anywhere near him. You know, it still didn't make earthly sense for David to do what he did. It made godly sense. It made spiritual sense for what he did. And just like he says to Goliath, I come in the name of the Lord. And he didn't strike him down because of his own ability or because somehow this sling was a deadlier weapon than what Goliath carried. He struck him down because he stood in defiance of God. Mm -hmm. And David wasn't going to tolerate that nonsense. Yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't matter to me whether this was providential or miraculous. I really, I, I've been pondering that as we've been talking. So it's interesting that you brought that up. And there were times when Israel had slingers. I mean, they had they had uh, you know a part of their army that that was their thing. They had archers and they had slingers. But but it doesn't matter if if this was you know miraculous in that the the laws of nature were defied or whether it was it was simply providential. Um, you look back at a couple chapters earlier and you have Jonathan doing almost uh, almost an identical type of a situation where he and his armor bearer take on the entire Philistine army and rout the entire army and in this case the entire army is routed again and and it and Jonathan says it, it doesn't matter. God is not restrained to save, whether by many or by few. And Jonathan and David both had this amazing faith, the same kind of faith that every single Israelite should have had, the same kind of faith that we should have, based on the history of what God has done for his people. All of God's people should say, God is not restrained to save, whether by many or by few. God isn't restrained to save, whether by a mighty army. I mean, that's what David says. He says, God doesn't, God doesn't deliver by armies, and he doesn't deliver by swords and spears or horses and chariots. It's not about that. God delivers by people that trust in him, and God, God's going to win the day. All we have to do is show up. The battle belongs to the Lord, and, and that kind of faith is what the story is about. It's not about <laughs> the accuracy of a slingshot, you know, or <laughs> anything like that right it's amazing i mean though though to a certain like you said we we do strip out the guts of that but there is a certain degree to which what we teach our kids is true about god can use any one of us mm-hmm. to do amazing things but it's not about me it's not because i'm little it's not because you know god could have used saul if saul had the right heart it was his heart that prevented him from being used he didn't want to be used by God. He didn't desire to be used by God. He didn't love God, but David did. David served God, and he he trusted God, and he depended on God. And in that, understanding that someone is defying his God, he stood up. Consider this. Consider what you, what you just said. It is so true. Why? It would, like like I said, it wasn't about the fact that David was smaller. In truth, it wasn't about that Goliath was bigger. Because when you think about it, could Goliath have stood off the entire army? No. (laughs) No, he couldn't have. So why were they pinned back for 40 days? Because they insisted on fighting the battle on Goliath's terms. Mm, That's a good point. And consider what Goliath did. He walked out there, all scary and impressive, and says, you send one man to fight me. And the army should have said, no. And boom, done at that point, right? Mm-hmm. But instead they, they decide, oh, okay, oh, okay, uh, we'll fight the battle on your terms. And how often do we do that? How often do we do that? Because you know, like, like you've said before, when we, when we read these things, we want to read ourselves into the position of David. Mm-hmm. 
And the majority of the time is, you know, we're, we're Joe Bob Israelite off to the side, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> we're, we're neither Saul nor David. But how often then is it that we, we truly are Saul or we're, we're the army? Mm-hmm. And we sit back and we say, oh, okay, world, yeah, let's fight the battle on your terms instead of on God's terms. They were already equipped to do what they needed to do, you know, but instead they sit back for 40 days and it takes someone to say, fine. I'll show you that we can even do it on his terms by faith in God. And what if what if they had gone to war? I mean, what if what if they had fought the battle? They just said no, and you know, like you said, and they had just attacked, and the armies had headed out. I have every I I have every confidence. I mean, the the land belonged to them. God gave it to them. This is our land. God gave it to us. This is our inheritance. Get out. You know, I mean, um, we should have taken it a long time ago, but that's a whole other story. <laughs> um, but um, actually, that's part of the story. But but here's an interesting thing. You know, you said that God can do amazing things through us. If they had fought the battle, some Israelites would have died. And that's that's the part we don't that's the part we don't want to play. We want to be the David who goes out there and has this big victory where we come out looking like a hero and everybody's like, oh man, you're awesome. You know, Saul's killed his thousands and David's his ten thousands. We want to be that guy. We don't want to be the guy that's laying on the battlefield. The battle belonged to the Lord. The Lord won. God's people are victorious but we were a casualty of war. We don't want to be that guy. But but often that's what we're called to do. We're called to lay down our life in service of the king, whether that means we live or we die. What difference does it make? We're, we're fighting for the Lord and we have life with him eternal and, and we trust in the Lord. And what matters is that God is glorified and the Lord's will is done. Our life is saved or our life is lost. It doesn't matter because we're fighting for something bigger than ourselves. And just imagine if... Uh... If everybody in Israel had the faith of David, the the army of God would have. I mean, it it would have been like. I mean, I don't. We may not want to go there today, but Gideon. I mean, mm-hmm. God says, uh, "You've got too many men. We need to go with was it three hundred? Three hundred men sounds good against this large army, mm-hmm. and uh, we'll just we'll just we'll do it this way. And <clears throat> I mean, what God needs is people who are faithful. It doesn't mean it doesn't matter how many. It just people who are faithful. It could be twelve. It could be ten. It could be two, like John, uh, Jonathan and his armor bearer, and take on a whole army and everybody runs. Um, you know, it, if if the army of God was faithful, there's nothing that they cannot do in the name of the Lord. Not for themselves, but 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 in the name of the Lord. But what what's what's the full ramification of that? If everybody's faithful and does what they know they're capable of doing because of God, then there's no big story. It's just day in, day out, being mm-hmm. the people of God. And a lot of times, I think, in our lives, we want to be part of a big story. Mm-hmm. And we're not called to be part of a big story. We're called to just do what God asks us to do mm-hmm. and be and, content. And it is. It is a big story in this. If, if that, we're willing that's to... That's the bigger story. Right, exactly. Yeah. If we're willing to look at it through the eyes of faith and see that our day-in, day-out, mundane obedience, as some would put it, is part of this huge grand story of of God and his people, of God saving by grace through faith. If, if we would see our walk as that rather than, no, I want it to be me being David. I want to be David and Goliath because then it's about us. But if mm. it's just faithfulness, it's I'm a part of a, th- a thousands of years of history of God and his people. And I'm 
I'm nobody. I'm Joe Bob Israelite. You know, I am, I'm, I'm nobody, but God is somebody and I get to be part of that story. And that's so much better than, you know, being this, you know, the other night I was talking to my children during our Bible story time while we're reading the Bible. And, and, uh, I was talking, I don't remember. I think it was, I think we were talking about David and Goliath cause we just read David and Goliath ourselves. And, um, and I was talking about it was the faith of David that and the faith of David and God that that delivered him and that he was able to do this. And we're talking about that. And then I was talking to him. It's like it's just like like Noah and Moses and Joshua and you know just listed off. And then Bella said, "Daddy, are you like one of those?" And I just just stopped. And it's like wow. I I want to say yes. And sometimes I'm not, but that's who I want to be. That's who I want to be. And you know that when I taught when I taught Noah a year ago, over a year ago, that's one of the things that I I, I talked about to everyone in our class about being parents of Noahs. It's like you know what we can. I mean, obviously we're all we're just living a faithful life, but we don't know much about Lamech, but we know his son, and his son was a faithful man who stood out among his peers. And we can be parents like that. We can, we can, we can, we may just be faithful people who who don't necessarily stand out, but our children may be people who need to stand out. And we can teach them and prepare them to be Davids, and Jonathans, and and men like Samuel, and men that that stand up in their time and uh, and uh, show people who God truly is. A big thanks to my co-host and to Cameron McElyay for his help in the production of this show. And thank you to all of our listeners. If you enjoyed the show, please consider sharing it with others and leaving a rating and review on iTunes so others can be encouraged as well. As always, we want you to know that we love you, God loves you, and we hope that you have a wonderful day. Mm